0: Welcome to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green, where you'll discover actionable strategies to help your student to reach their academic goals, to excel at standardized testing, and to plan for the college admissions process painlessly. And now, here's your host, Dr. Stephen Green. Steve Green
1: here from the Make the Grade podcast. I have a special guest today, Katie okay may katie welcome how are you
0: thank you steve i'm good i appreciate you having me excited to be here
1: yes let me tell you something katie is super positive super upbeat it's one of the things i really like about her but even if she wasn't she's a really talented provider who's doing a lot of really good things helping kids and especially in the present environment and i'm gonna let her tell you a lot more about this but it's a really valuable thing. You know, my thing is really the academic side and helping with the structure and helping you get the grades and the comfort and the tools you need to do that. But there's a lot more that goes into it. And there's a lot of anxieties, uh, I mean, that can happen around this. So this is where Katie comes in. So Katie, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little about your business, maybe what your core mission is, and we'll just go from there.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. So I own Creative Healing. We are a teen support center. We support uh, mental health for the adolescent brain, which is essentially 12 to 24. And so we work with a lot of um, school-age children and teens with anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, past history of trauma, self-harm behaviors, suicidal thoughts, OCD. So really anything that comes up in the, the adolescent years as it relates to mental health, we're supporting in our individual and group session.
1: Wow. Well, that covers a lot of ground. Um, So is this uh, like a a psychology, psychiatry sort of thing, like a one-on-one therapy? Is it a um, group support? Describe how um, maybe what a, a, a person would experience coming to your center.
0: So, it is mental health counseling. We are master's level licensed therapists, um, similar to psychologists, different license. So, we like to be clear about who we are. Um, and so, the process is typically that somebody comes to our center. And they'll do an individual intake. So we'll do an assessment on them, an evaluation. We'll understand what's bringing you in, what's really getting you stuck in life, what is it that you need or want in order to live a life that you love. And that's really fulfilling and meaningful for you. And so from that point, we're making different recommendations. It could be working one-on-one with a therapist. It could be being in one of our groups and we have all different kinds of groups at our center. It could be some combination of both. Our stance is that therapy for children and teens doesn't have to be a lifelong process. We don't always have to throw medication at something, but we really look for what skills are missing and how can we um, give them what they need so that essentially one day they can fire us and say, we're good, we're living life and it's working well and we don't need this support anymore. And maybe, you know, they come back for a tune-up or a check-in here or there, but, but our goal is to help put them back into the world in a way that, that helps them become successful children, teens, and then eventually independent adults.
1: Um, those of you who may not be listening to this currently, this is August of 2020, so we are in the, I don't know about the peak, but we are certainly still in the throes of the COVID-19 experience. So that alone is a big stressor. I mean, but what is? Are there more common uh, triggers, causes? Uh, you know, without divulging any confidentialities. But what would you say are the common things that teens are 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 getting anxious about these days?
0: So these days, in particular, the anxiety centers. I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, just in, like, in general. what what is is there is there a most common diagnosis or a most common? evaluation that, that you see?
0: We see a lot of depression and anxiety. I would say the common teen stressors that come up often, the Rolodex of them that we see are um, things around school, school being stressful, peer relationships being stressful and or bullying or rejection, um, parents not understanding or lack of parent support or validation. So they tend to be some of the bigger themes that come up, up in the work. Hmm. Um, and... More really in particular, it's you know, the isolation of not being able to be around peers because in the adolescent years developmentally, they want to be around peers. That's part of them building their identity. And so that's a, a challenge.
1: Interesting. Um, so let me ask you from this perspective, because I'm sure you weren't this way as a teenager because I know I wasn't, but teens aren't always the most communicative with their parents. Um, if I'm a parent and I have, let's say, a 15-year-old or whatever, what would be some um, observational things I might want to look for to, to say, hmm, you know what, maybe I need to come to somebody like Katie? Yeah. Because um, I'm sure there's a sensitivity here, right? What would be something a parent might want to be sensitive to? And when I mean sensitivity, I mean people aren't, you know, there's sometimes there's a stigmatism and stuff about all these mental health things but let's not go there yet but so I'm a parent what what would I maybe I'm seeing a different behavior in my child what what would be a, something that would indicate to a parent hey I really need to do something proactive here
0: yeah so what I would say is see it's an interesting answer because I want to be mindful of deciphering between what's typical and what's cause for concern so as you're moving okay. into the adolescent years it's totally typical to want to be in your room less or want to talk to parents less or to be irritable or to be moody sometimes. So we (laughs) want to make sure that we're not over. Let's let's say there's
1: a normal range of that. How do we know if somebody's to the right or the left outside that range?
0: Yes. So that's the next step. It's like, when we look at extremes, when, when someone is, when, and your child is isolating all the time when they're having tearful episodes on a regular basis when they're so anxious and tense and irritable that um they can't or they have difficulty interacting with you with their peers and so i would say if you're seeing a pattern of two plus weeks where really they're feeling down sad hopeless communicating that nothing matters um they're engaging in lots of arguments, there's any kind of extreme behaviors of harming themselves or other people. Those are things that that we want to get on top of or even ahead of before we get to that point. Uh, Um, Absolutely. I would say if there's any question mark, then reach out. It doesn't hurt to have a conversation about is this within that typical range or is this cause for concern and making sure that we're observing what's happening um, rather than minimizing or, you know, making it an extreme that it isn't
1: is um and and, you know like i said we're not suggesting you know any sort of exact medical diagnosis here it's really just probably better safe than sorry in some cases but um are there i know i mean there's a lot of places people can go for support right like some people might go to their clergy person some people might go to a trusted teacher or another adult um is there something unique I'm sure there is, but what's unique that you could provide as a trained, licensed professional that maybe somebody else just wouldn't have the ability to do?
0: Yeah, so I would say there's a a few things that make us stand out from the general practitioner. One is that we're a team of therapists who have devoted our lives and our professional careers to working with adolescents. So everything we do is studying the adolescent brain and what works with the teenage population and again that 12 to 24 um, developmental period and then the other thing we do is we have this blend of evidence-based practices and creativity so evidence-based practices being therapies that have been proven through you know trials and research to actually work and create changes in in the clients that use these modalities and we're, we're taking what works as it relates to science and we're blending it with art therapy, creative means, and things that engage the teenage brain so that they actually want to be there. And, you know, therapy isn't all fun and games, there's there's some hard work and some strife that comes Mm -hmm. with that. So, having a way to engage them in the process and really devoting our, our lives to being able to connect with that population, I think is what helps us stand out from, you know, therapists down the street who's seeing everyone who comes through the door.
1: So it's sort of like Freud meets finger painting. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I just thought of that. Yeah, you, can, uh, you have my permission you. to use that. No, I, I get it. Listen, in my world, um, you know, I'll get kids who aren't excited about math, say. Yeah. Incredibly enough, it happens. Um, and sometimes you've got to be creative in how you motivate them, right? And it isn't just when you're with them because I'm not sure what you're uh, therapeutic regimen is, but I'm not with the kid 24 hours a day, so I have to hope that yeah. whatever, the hour, whatever time I'm allotted to work with them, sticks, and they can sustain until our next meeting. And I, I'm sure there's an element of that. So, are there any, without giving away the shop, are there any coping mechanisms or any behavioral modifications? If correct me if I'm using the wrong phraseology, that you might recommend, you know, that maybe are typical in your treatment programs.
0: I think it depends. So there's a couple things. One is that we actually are aware that, you know, change doesn't happen in an hour a week, just like you're saying. And so part of what we do in our program is use, we use a smartphone app that has our clients tracking their behavior, their triggers, their emotions, and that in itself can be really helpful. We know that tracking behavior changes behavior. So even if you're not a part of a treatment program, if there's something that you're doing that's causing you pain or that's causing life difficulties, noticing, okay, what's happening to trigger this behavior. Usually when we're looking at a behavior and when we're thinking about kids and teens, parents are usually noticing behaviors more than anything else. What I like to say is stop, like, okay, this is the behavior that's happening, but what's behind the behavior? What's the emotion underneath of the behavior? So that's, that's why we track. And that's why we also provide film coaching where they can reach out to us between sessions. But for, you know, the everyday kid or teen who's not in therapy, Parents recognizing there's an emotion behind this behavior. Let me get to the core rather than put a band aid on the behavior. That's what's going to actually help you see changes and help your child feel heard, right? When you're saying, I'm noticing that you're really frustrated right now, rather than stop yelling, you're being disrespectful, you can see an immediate change in how your child responds to you. Wow.
1: Katie K. May from Creative Healing. I'm Steve Green from Make the greatest. This is the Make the Great podcast. We're talking about how to cope with some stresses for the adolescent brain. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this tracking app. Uh, I've had some family members had some eating issues, like overeating issues. So one of the things they were always asked to do was do a food diary, and you would try to find the relationship, well, you know, something makes me angry, and then I go have an ice cream sundae or fill in the blank, right, on both sides of that. Um, and I, I'm, I'm thinking that what you're saying is sort of the same idea. Is Are there consistent triggers that cause these anxiety manifestations or depression manifestations or whatever because like as you said before you're trying to build up the self awareness so the person can self regulate um are are you finding that i mean one of the big issues i find with this at least on my end is 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 the enabling or lack of enabling people need a support system right and teens are so sensitive to their peer situations right and things like that. Is there any, you know, thing you just want to say about the, like the friends kids choose or maybe you should avoid if they have certain sensitivities or certain maybe propensities to these things.
0: So I think it's an interesting phenomenon and it makes total sense to me that a teenager or you know anyone really who's struggling tends to gravitate towards people who understand their experience. I see it, especially with our, our kids with low self-esteem as they tend to gravitate towards that low hanging fruit. Well, I know they're not going to reject me because I'm not intimidated by their social status or the choices that they're making, or, you know, they seem to be willing to keep anyone around. And so I think, you know, step one, being mindful of this, but step two, I see a lot of, um, parents trying to over control from the outside you can't see this kid you can't go this place and obviously some of those things make sense in terms of safety but also understanding that it's an inside job that you need to feel good about yourself and you need to elevate your conception around what you're worthy of in order to be around other people who um, who meet that that requirement that sounds very vague but the other side of that is I got gotcha. you yeah, the groups that our teens are in tend to be a really helpful place for them to understand they're not alone in what they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. They can get peer validation and support, but, but it's also a place where we're promoting healthy behaviors and uh, providing accountability for positive interactions versus sometimes when that happens socially and in a less controlled environment it's ending in, you know, using substances or making choices that aren't necessarily the most healthy. Yeah,
1: and so, that's, that's a completely a huge but a whole issue we're not even getting into here.
0: No. How long <laughs> have you
1: had your centers open?
0: So we opened as a group practice in 2017. Okay. Um, we opened our second two locations in the past year, and I've been right. in practice since 2015. So let me, let, me we've been
1: around. let me ask you a question. Just anecdotally... It seems yeah. like the sort of collective stress level of the world is higher. I don't know if it's an all-time high. I'm not sure if how you can really measure it. Um, it just seems like people are on edge. Uh, is this anything you can sort of verify clinically? Are you getting more people or maybe the same number of people with more extreme circumstances? Is there any way to quantize this or is it just kind of a vague sense that I think many of us have just living through the last six months.
0: I can tell you based on our intake numbers and the, the number of calls and emails we're getting asking for support that typically we see a lot of um, consistent clients during the school year and then we our referrals die down a little bit in the summer. You know, mm-hmm. People are away on vacation, the sun is out, school is out, so the stress levels are down. We have not slowed down and in fact we've had more referrals than ever before. So we're feeling it, the uncertainty, the isolation, the stress level of parents kids and teens, I mean, we're seeing it in terms of the numbers of, of requests we're getting for support.
1: So I guess at least anecdotally, that would support my, my theory.
0: Yeah, I would
1: um, say so. Yeah. Can you describe at all, like what, a t- uh, maybe typical is probably the wrong word here, because I imagine they're all different, but is there a typical therapy session? Is there, is there something from an experiential standpoint that you can kind of maybe guide people through briefly of what somebody would experience as part of this therapy.
0: So you're correct that it depends on, you know, what they're coming in with and what they need support with. But most of our therapists are going to start at the beginning with a check in okay what did you do over this week that was helpful for you we usually give some kind of homework because again change happens in the world and not in a therapy office mm-hmm. um we're reviewing their tracking form we're looking at anything come up over the week anything triggering for you and then we're we call it a behavior chain where we we go through what triggered it um what were the emotions what behavior came from those emotions were, were there any secondary benefits to that did you get some kind of support because of that behavior and then we're working with parents on like um extinguishing some of those things that keep the behavior in place, maybe changing the way that parents respond. And then the session could look different. A, a lot of our therapists like to do art. So we'll, and now we're doing digital art um, online with our clients. A lot of our therapists are very experiential. So let's say um, you have a fear of dogs, for example, as a, a random um, so example. They take you to a, a kennel. You were, <laughs> What's that?
1: So you meet at a kennel and face your fear
0: Well, and that's part of what we might do. We might start by watching YouTube videos of dogs and then sitting with that emotion of what's coming up in your body right now. What are you noticing? So a lot of bringing awareness to the emotion and helping our teens tolerate the emotion because what that does is actually it slows down the reaction. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes we're viewing behaviors as a solution to emotions that are painful or uncomfortable. Whatever the behavior is, it's a, a response and And in some ways solves the problem of not having to feel that. So if we can do work to help them feel their emotions, the behaviors start to go away.
1: You alluded to something I want to talk about a little bit more, which is the role of the parents slash support system externally, right? Yep. So I think it's a foregone conclusion that if a child's living at home, you need the parents on the same page, right? So let's just talk about how important that is and what that might look like because um, sometimes parents are kind of in denial. I be my kid's fine. There's nothing wrong with my kid, or uh, it's a phase, you know. The girlfriend broke up with him. Whatever, you know, they'll get over it next week. Um, and, and not, some people just aren't comfortable in certain generations or certain cultural socialization worlds talking about this, right? So, how do you bring? How do you make one team? How how do you get everybody on the same page? And this could probably be a (laughs) seven-hour discussion, but how do you get everybody on the same page so so that the center is the child, right? Because sometimes the enablers end up wanting to be more important than the person that they're trying to enable in a positive way. So how do you center it so that the child is the key to the therapy and the treatment and everybody else is is trying to support that? Because I have the exact same challenge in the academic support. i got to make sure everybody's aligned in their thinking and, and their processes. So... What, what what do you think about that?
0: So what we know, and it sounds like you're echoing the same thing, is that kids don't heal in a vacuum. They don't they don't live in a vacuum. They live as a part of a system, and so the whole system needs to be on board. Um, and so we like to include parents in different ways. My my way of thinking about this is that. Um, I'm really mindful of considering that the kid themselves is not the problem. You know, this this depression is the problem, or this anxiety is the problem, or this behavior is problematic. And so when we as therapist, kid, parent can be over here and have depression, anxiety, you know, school procrastination over here, and we're all working as a team together to address the behavior or the concern, that it can align everyone on the same team. When I look at parents, what I – I often want to work on with them is, let's not enable the behaviors or reinforce the behaviors. You know, what are we doing that's actually keeping the behaviors in place? Let's not accommodate our kids to the point of helping them avoid emotions um, or doing for them so that they don't have to feel emotions, because what is that doing? It's actually inadvertently teaching our kids that they can't do or they can't handle, and that's not the message that we want to send. And then the final thing we always work on with our parents is validation. We don't have to condone your behavior, but we can understand and communicate your, that we get your emotions because, you know, what, what we know is if an emotion isn't heard, it gets louder until it gets heard. And getting louder might mean getting more destructive or more dangerous. So we want to hear it when it's low and not when it's high. Hmm.
1: Yeah, at least in your world, go on to the days of laying on a couch in a dark room and... The therapist is smoking the pipe, wearing a cardigan sweater, you know, I'm trying to think of every possible stereotype here, Um, you know, asking you what your childhood was like with your grandmother sort of thing. Um, Let's kind of wrap this up a little bit. Um, Where do you see, uh, do you have any kind of vision of of how this is going to change? Could this change in the future? I mean, are teenagers always going to be teenagers, so to speak, or... are are there sort of things that peak and go up and down or, or, you know, maybe I'm asking you that, let me ask you a different way. Are you seeing any sort of macro trends in in what you do that, you know, might be expanding or contracting?
0: So I think having the knowledge that I have, knowing that I was a teenager who was in therapy, who was in groups, who had strong emotions. And I think that's important to say that therapists have and have had therapists, like let's not stigmatize the issue here. Um, That, The adolescent brain is one that's still developing and where emotions are felt really strongly. And I think no matter what, that's going to be a time of struggle for a lot of people. And so, you know, what we do isn't going anywhere. And I see more things like we do popping up all over, you know, across the United States, places that are centered around teen support. I think it's necessary. I've seen a trend of it being needed more, the more stringent we are with Testing, standardized tests, SATs, college admissions, you know, as that gets more stressful, our teens are under more stress as well. So that's where you come in too.
1: <laughs> to teach them, not, not to give them therapy. Although what I do is sort of a lot of therapy as well. Um, you want to add anything? By the way, I love your hair. Those of you who are listening, Katie has a, like a what a rainbow hairdo. I'm not sure exactly how is Is that like a COVID, you've been trapped inside thing or...
0: So you've caught me one day before a hair appointment. It's usually all now.
1: (laughs) I didn't know that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it's, um, you know, part of our value system as a center is you're worthy exactly as you are. and everybody
1: where they are, right. Exactly.
0: So self-expression, identity, being yourself and being accepted for that is important. And so we want to model that in who we are as well.
1: How many therapists do you have at each center, or do they float through each one, or is it? kind they of... They float
0: through each one. So we have three locations, and we have fourteen therapists right now um, across the three locations. The main one in Flower Town is our biggest and sa- um, our home location. And then we have a couple satellites in King of Prussia and Center City.
1: Well, when the smoke clears and we can actually go outside without mask, I'll come over and, and visit. We'll do a remote. We'll do a remote visit there. That. um anything you want to share personally, like you know you got two dogs in the garden, or i, I don't know you, what <laughs> anything want like just let let the world know about you that they don't already know
0: oh the world knows a lot about me thanks to Facebook. No, (laughs) Um, I have a boss superior named Penny. I love her. I have a son who's in middle school. So not only am I, you know, professional in this area, but I'm also a parent in this area. So I'm going through personally what I help a lot of other teens and parents with, including navigating, you know, the moody teenage years. So I have empathy for our parents as well as a passion for working with the teen population. It really is. It's my life's work. And I'm grateful to be a part of the journey
1: for these teams let me ask you something because I actually tutored both my kids I have two boys and uh, I did I taught them SATs and ACTs I taught them a lot of the subjects I teach other kids and it wasn't always pretty but I'm going to say they dealt with it (laughs) they dealt with me doing it Um, do you think you could ever have a similar experience that if your child ever needed or is it just too close
0: I think there's two answers to that. One is in therapy, it's a little bit different that we're not allowed to have dual relationships. So Mm -hmm. being able, you you couldn't be your own kid's therapist. The other side of that is you're you're too close to the situation.
1: That's what I thought. Yeah,
0: having an outside support is always helpful. And I think that's important for parents to hear is that you can't be your kid's therapist. You can't teach them all of the things that an outside perspective can provide to them because you're too close in the relationship. And that, you know... That's why therapy is a helpful
1: place. The interesting thing is I gave my kids a choice. I said, look, if you need help, I'll get you help. But if you want to work with me, you can, but you have to choose. And they both decided to work with me. It may have been because they were lazy and they didn't want to go anywhere else, except if walking downstairs into my office. But, um, yeah, it, it worked out. They both landed on their feet. Um, all right. So, listen, Katie Mace, uh, I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, it's been exciting. I, as I said in the beginning, I love your upbeat and positive attitude, which is – kind of contagious and i wish you know everybody kind of had it i get what we're all dealing with right now um anything you want to plug do you have any events coming up you have any specials you have any uh, you got a book coming out i don't know you got you got anything uh you know album coming out i don't know you got (laughs) a special you want to share i don't know anything you want to uh, leave us with
0: we love to support teens and groups, especially. I mean, we always have individual spots, but our DBT groups are our dialectical behavior therapy skills groups, which really means finding balance between extremes. It's a place where we've seen major change happen for our teens and the families that work with us in that way. So we support parents, tweens, and teens in these kinds of skill building groups. And um, I feel really strongly that they're, they're a way that we can you know, do our part to change the world by changing how we interact with each other and feel our feelings. So yeah, I'd love to talk with anyone who wants
1: to learn more about that. Awesome. Well, this has been I've I've enjoyed this. I hope I hope uh, everybody listening has. Steve Green, I'm with the Make the Grade podcast. My goal is to give parents out there actions that you can use to help your students maximize their education. Sometimes that's little tips and tricks on how to do nitty-gritty stuff. Sometimes it's it's a really insightful conversation with a a very talented therapist uh, like we had today. So I appreciate it. Uh, If you like what you saw, please share the link to the podcast and subscribe and all that beautiful stuff. And we'll go from there. So Katie, last time, thank you very much. You can have the last word. Anything you want to say?
0: Thank you for having me. And thank you for what you do to support our kids and teens as well.
1: All right. well, Let's let the love fist continue. (laughs) Um, I'll see you later, everybody. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: You've been listening to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. For more resources and support, please visit makethegrade.net.